Anytime we're having church, this is the right place to be. Before I begin my message, I want to say a couple things about our pastors not being here today. Pastor Bert and Pastor Becky are in McAllen, Texas. Pastor Bert is preaching at World Harvest Church there. And it's important for us to understand that when our pastors go out of town like this, most of the time they're not on vacation. They're going out to do God's work and to minister the word to people other than us. But we need to realize that when he goes out, we go with him in spirit. And the reward that he receives for bringing the word there belongs to us too. We're part of him and he's part of us. And we just lift him up right now. We, we've been praying for him in different settings already this morning for his message to be anointed and it be delivered with everything that God has for him to deliver. So, as you think about him today, <clears throat> lift, him, lift them up and also for their trip back. It's important. So, I feel like I've already heard a couple of messages this morning between Brian and and uh, Brian and Dahlia, they've ministered to me. How about you? Yes. Yes. And let's, let's give our praise and worship team a hand. Yes. This microphone and I don't really get along. Fabian tells me that my ears are too small. What we have to understand that everything in me is small. <laughs> Thank you, Fabian. Fabian's so faithful and so devoted, and I just give you thanks for him. Um, I, uh, I have a little story to tell you, and, and then I have a little joke. I always like to have a little joke. And, the story is kind of a joke, and <clears throat> as we most of us know, I think the Reverend Billy Graham passed this past week. He's in heaven with Jesus. And if anybody ever deserved to be there, it's him. But we all deserve to be there if we're born through, reborn through Jesus Christ. But this is a story that is professed to be true, and I just, I just think it is. Reverend Billy Graham was... Uh, going to a ministry where he was a church where he was going to preach in a small town and he's wanting to post a letter so there was this young boy uh, there and he asked him where the post office was so the little boy told him and after he did uh, Reverend Graham told him thank you and he said you know if you come to the Baptist church tonight I'll tell you how to get to heaven and the little boy thought about that for a little while, and he said, well, I don't think I'll be there. You don't even know where the post office is. <laughs> then I have a little story that kind of ties in with my message a little bit. <clears throat> there was this young boy that hang out, hung out at the neighborhood grocery store all the time, and uh, all the kids around there would tease him. And the way they would tease him is that they would offer him a choice between a nickel and a dime. And the little boy always took the nickel. So after they did that once, this, the, the proprietor of this uh, grocery store took him aside and said, 
Son, don't you know those guys are making fun of you? Don't you know that a, a dime is worth more than a nickel? And the little boy said, sure I do. But if I took the dime, they'd quit doing it. <laughs> so <clears throat> that's about choices. But before I tell you the, the title of my message today, I'm going to tell you a little story about me, which will... <laughs> really will somewhat illustrate the message. Um, and as I tell the story, I want you to remember that it was about 45 years ago. And for all of you young people here, back in those days, there were no cell phones. I know that's hard for you to believe, but there weren't. There were no GPSs, and the infrastructure of our country was a lot different then than it is now. So... Uh, we as a family were visiting Sarah's folks in Garnett, Kansas, which is a little town on the east, east, northeastern part of Kansas. And uh, I was taking our two sons, who were little at that time, out to see the family farm, which they didn't live on the farm anymore, but they wanted to see it, so I was taking them out there to see it. And it was only 10 minutes from town, from their house, it was a familiar route, so we went out there, and they got to see all that and everything. But on the way back, you know, it's a, it's a pretty scenic area, area, and many of you who have go driven through parts of Kansas don't think there's anything scenic there, but there is. That part of Kansas has nice rolling hills and woods and all that kind of thing, and it's real pretty. So we decided to go back another way. And it's only about five miles as a crow flies. But those roads aren't for the crows. <laughs> and there were no, you know, the roads didn't have any signs. There were no signposts, no directions or anything like that. And a lot of them didn't have numbers or anything. So we should have been back no, no more than 30 minutes. So when I came to the first turn, I was sure I needed to turn left. And I made a choice to turn left. And from then on, every turn that I came to either took me to a dead end or a direction that I didn't want to go. So I had always prided myself on having a good sense of direction. My, my wife can tell you about that. And normally I do. But you know how we men are? We don't ask directions. That's for wimps, you know, we don't ask directions. <clears throat> and that's known as pride. Y'all recognize that, right, men? All you wives are saying, yes, yes, yes. Well, we got back real late for supper, and everybody was worried, and I got an earful from just about everybody at the house, and I deserved every bit of it. So, the point of all that is that life is kind of like that road trip. We make dozens, if not hundreds, of choices or decisions every day. And the title of this message is that decision determines destiny. Decision determines destiny. And, you know, we, we may not want to admit it, but... 
What we are today, every one of us, what we are today is the sum total of all the choices that we've made in our life up to this time. And, you know, we have a tendency as people, is this doing good or not? We have a tendency as people to have lots of excuses for why we are what we are. Sometimes we say it's the environment. So the question is, why doesn't everyone from the same environment turn turn out the same? It's a good question, right? Sometimes we say it's other people. It isn't what other people have said or done to us that makes the difference. What really matters is how we choose to respond. And, you know, every response that we make to a difficult situation or to somebody who's rubbing us the wrong way, how we respond is a choice. We don't have to respond with anger or sarcasm or whatever. We can respond in love because we're created in love and to love. Excuse me. It isn't our circumstances. What we are is not the result of our circumstances. Our circumstances are the result of the choices that we make. Um, I can tell you that I'm 80 years old, and I've made a lot of bad choices in my life. But I've also made a lot of good ones. I married Sarah. That was a really good choice, I'm telling you. I can't tell you how good a choice that was. The problem with how we make choices is that oftentimes we make our choices without setting a goal. You know, and, and, and that may sound like that doesn't fit in the little choices that we make every day you know, in little situations, you know, am I going to drink coffee, am I going to drink tea, or whatever like that. But the fact of the matter is that if you set a vision or a life goal for yourself while you're young, we have a lot of young people in this congregation, and uh, I just really encourage you to set some life goals, some life vision for what, how you're going to live your life and how you're going to process the things that you come across. Because if you don't have that fixed in your mind, you'll make choices off the top of your head or under pressure or whatever, and that's never a good way to make a choice. Uh, If you're making decisions without choices, uh, making decisions without a goal, uh, we have hunters in here and... uh, that's kind of like shooting a gun without a target. You might hit anything. You might hit nothing. So that's not a good way to make a choice. Often without signs or guideposts, and I go back to my little road trip that I took, if there had been some signposts, you know, I wouldn't have got lost. But boy, I was lost. <clears throat> and God's Word says in Psalms 119, 105, that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So, you know, not following God's word gets us onto some unpaved roads without signposts or anything. 
takes you to a wrong place. And you've heard Pastor Bert say many times that the answer to any question is found in the Word. It's all there. It doesn't just jump out and get us. We have to do a little work to find out what the Word says. And when we do, we can be assured that we will make the right choice and go in the right direction. Like me on a road trip, we often make our choices with pride. Pride is a pride is not a good thing. <laughs> I can testify; I've been there and done that. Uh, like on the road trip, you know, we get the attitude, especially us men. You know, I can do it myself. I don't need any help. I don't need to stop and ask directions. But we do. We need to stop and ask directions. Uh, Not following God's word gets us on the unpaved roads. Often without communication with the Holy Spirit. You know, I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't communicate with anybody. But we always have the Holy Spirit available to us. Always. He's always there. And he's always speaking in our ear. A lot of times we are just not listening. We're not paying attention. And because of that, you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't force his way into your life at all. You have to invite him in. You have to give him the opportunity to speak to you. We have to give him the opportunity to be quiet, listen. Hard for us to do sometimes. Uh, Often without repentance. Romans 2. Let's look at Romans 2. Romans, 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 Romans. Romans 2, beginning in verse 4. Oh, excuse me, 2. There's a little print in this Bible, and I need new glasses. I've got the wrong scripture. Yeah, 2, 4 through 6. Or do you... Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. You know, and sometimes I used to read that as a threat. It's not a threat. It's a caution. It's information to help you choose rightly and understand that repentance brings relationship with the Father. You know, He's always there. But when we're unrepentant, we don't avail ourselves of Him. But He's always there. It's not Him, it's us that's the problem. And often without counsel, Proverbs eleven fourteen says that there is safety in, in, in the counsel of many counselors. And the main point that I'm trying to make with this is that we are never alone to make our choices without the information and the counsel that we need if we will, first of all, take the time 
And sometimes it takes time. Secondly, seek God's counsel. And it's not a bad idea if you're facing a difficult decision to get some counsel from people who are trustworthy, our pastors, you know, godly friends. You know, it's not a bad idea to get counsel from them because the Holy Spirit can speak to you through those people if you'll listen. So it's, it's really important that we don't just make off-the-cuff decisions, especially when we're talking about life decisions, especially when we're ta- thinking about what church we should attend. You know, we'd love for everybody to attend this church. We think it's a great church. We have great pastors. We have great uh, facility. But this church isn't for everybody. But it is for people that have sought God and understand that God has, cho- has, has selected this church for them. And God will teach you that. I can testify that when Sarah and I first moved back to Texas from Florida in 1996... We were really seeking the Lord for the right church. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, at this time, this church was called Conquest Christian Church. And uh, we visited one other church before we visited Conquest Christian. <laughs> I got to tell you this story. The first time we came to Conquest Christian Church, which is a little stone church down on Water Street, and uh, we got there a little early, and the parking lot was in the back of the church. So we parked in the parking lot, and we got, got out. There was a young woman there, uh, and we, we asked her, you know, where do we go in? She said, just go in that way. And that's all she said to us. She didn't welcome us or anything. <laughs> Glad to have you or anything like that. So we walked in that church, and when you walked in it, you took a right to go into the sanctuary, and there were two sections of, of, of pews. And so when Sarah and I walked in, in the front of the first section that we came to, there was a knot of about, about oh, maybe, I don't know, 15 or 20 people, Sarah? All together, all having a great conversation with each other and everything. And nobody spoke to us. Nobody. So we walked over to the other section of pews and we sat down, you know, next to the aisle and just sat there. And finally, uh, there, was a, there was an old man, I wouldn't be so old to me now, but he, he, was, he was 90 years old. His name was Art. I can't remember his last name. Do you remember his last name? What is it? Quinn. Art Quinn, Yeah the nicest man you'd ever want to meet. He came over and visited with us and welcomed us, welcomed us to the place and everything like that, but nobody else talked to us the whole time we were there. So, uh, the preaching was great. Pastor Bird had a great message and we were edified by it, but when we left, Sarah and I were having a conversation. Do we want to go back to that place? Do we want to go back there? And the Lord told us to go back, and we've been here ever since. But it was a difficult decision to go back. It was. We finally did get some people to talk to us after about a month. 
And this, well, we found out about six months later, Pastor Burt told me why that happened. And it seems that Conquest Christian had just gone through a split about three or four months before we started going there. And the, the elder of the church at that time was a guy who looked exactly like me. And he had left the church and taken half the congregation with him to go to another church. So all those people were suspicious of me. They thought I was his brother. <laughs> That's why they wouldn't talk to me. I couldn't understand it because I'm a nice guy, you know. So, you might be thinking to yourself, well, you know, I'm 30 or 40 years old now and I've already made a whole lot of bad choices and I've been in a bad place in my life and what do I do? What do I do? Well, the first thing you do is remember that God's mercies are due, new every morning. God never gives up on anybody. Think of the thief on the cross next to Jesus. He was at the point of death. He was fixing to die, and he knew he was fixing to die. He was forgiven and received eternal life right there on that cross. It's never too late. But there are some things we need to remember. We need to set your goal. Look at Matthew 22. in here somewhere. Matthew 22 verse 20 or 37, excuse me. Says Jesus said to him, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind." This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, "You shall love your neighbor as yourself." On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I wish I could say that I had always followed that, but I can't. You know, I've always, even when I was a child, I, had, I was in awe of God and all that. But I was 35 years old before I came to the Lord. And prior to that, we had attended church and all that kind of thing. In fact, I had been a, a deacon in the church, served on all kinds of committees and all that kind of stuff, but I wasn't saved. I thought I was, but I wasn't. And the Holy Spirit dealt with me through a, a meeting that took place in the church that we were attending called the Lay Witness Mission. And a bunch of lay people came into the church and took over the church for a whole weekend. We had all kinds of different meetings and small groups and all that kind of thing. And the way those people talked and the way they interacted with each other and with us told me that they had something that I didn't have. My wife had it, but I didn't have it. And so after they left, I was, I was really, really dynamically impacted by their lives. Not so much by what they said as by the way they were living. And about... A month after that, I was alone in a hotel room in Lubbock, Texas. I was there. I was a district manager for a retail outlet. 
and I was there. I had two stores in that area. And I was alone in that hotel room, and I was sick with myself and my life. And I knew that, that I didn't have what those people had. And so I opened the dresser drawer in that uh, hotel room, and in there was a, a Gideon Good News Bible. Changed my life forever. In, in very simple terms, it told me in that Bible how to be saved. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't King James Version, which I could hardly take at that time. I still don't like it much. Don't use it much. <laughs> uh, and in that hotel room, I read that plan of salvation, and I cried like a baby. I'm, I don't know how long I wept, but it had to be at least a half an hour, 45 minutes, I don't know. And I, plan, I followed that plan, and I asked Jesus to save me. And I, I dedicated myself to try to serve him. I wasn't sure I could at that time, but I, I told him that I would try, and I did. And we were in a, a Bible class with Pastor Bert uh, last week, and uh, he asked me the question in front of the group. He said, when you got saved, what changed in your life? And I answered him with one word, everything. Everything. Which doesn't mean that I changed from a sinner well, I changed from a sinner to, to a child of God and, and saved through grace. But my thought processes and decision-making processes and all that did not change right then. I still used cuss words and I still uh, told lies and I still did a lot of things that a Christian shouldn't be doing. But what happened was a, a process took place that changed how I processed things that entered my mind. And through, from, that on, from then on, through the leadership of the Holy Spirit and being in the Word and sitting in church under good preaching on a consistent basis, there is no substitute for that, I can tell you. There's no substitute for that. But the process of that began renewing my mind and changing the way I made choices in my life. Small choices and big choices. I wish I could say that it just changed everything overnight, but it didn't. It took a long time. In fact, I'm still working on it. I'm still working on it. But I'm doing better. So, I didn't really intend to tell you that story, but the Holy Spirit had me do it, so take it or leave it. He said me to, to, for me to tell you, so. But there's some things you can do. First, set your goal. Second, seek godly counsel and the leadership of God's Word. Three, and this is important, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15.
It's here. Have patience with me. Uh, chapter 15, verse 33, which says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. How many of you believe that's true? How many of you have experienced that in your life? Almost everybody. Because it's a truism. The people that you associate with on a consistent basis begin to shape your life like their life. And you might think, well, I can shape their life. And you can. But they can shape yours at the same time. So... The solution to that problem is don't associate with bad people. It's a pretty easy decision to make. But you've got to understand that there are some consequences that go along with that. Some of those people will ridicule you. Some of those people won't like you if you cut off associations with them. But Jesus will love you for it. I'd rather have his, wouldn't you? And then watch what you say. Look at Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 18. And verse uh, 21. Which says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You've heard Pastor Burt say a lot of times in here that you need to have some confessions that you speak over yourself every day. You can't confess anybody else's life, but you can confess your life. And it's important that you are consistent with that because sooner or later what you say is what you will do. I promise you that's true. What you say on a consistent basis is what you will be. So, in Deuteronomy, it tells us that God sets before us life and death, and then He tells us what to do. He says, choose life. We have the choice. Everything that we do, we have a choice. God created us with a free will. He's not going to force us to serve Him or to love Him or to talk to Him or anything like that. We have to make a conscious choice to do those things. And as we do, there are great rewards. They produce life in your life. You know, some of us, I know for myself, I, I probably walked around dead for a lot of my life until 35 years old. Didn't know I was dead, but I was the walking dead. And uh, part of the change that took place when I got saved was that I began to recognize that. And as a result of that recognition, I, I started to change things. I got to get with it. Here. I'm running out of time. So we need to choose life. And if we couldn't do it, he wouldn't tell us to starts with making godly choices. And we talked about that, you understand what I'm saying. 
we need to remember what you are today is a sum total or result of all the choices you've made in your life. Where you are tomorrow depends on the choices you make today. There was a man named Stephen Covey. Anybody ever hear of him? He's dead now, but he was an educator and a prolific author and a speaker. And I have a couple of quotes from him that I think are important. Now, he, he wasn't a particularly uh, religious man, but he, he, he was saved. And most of his uh, saying, well, for sure these two sayings that I'm going to give you aren't from the Bible, but they make biblical sense. So, he said, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reach a, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. So a character reap a destiny. And that pretty much illustrates what I said about we are the sum total of all of the choices that we've made in our lives. The second quote is, while we're free to choose our actions, we're not free to choose the consequences of our actions. And every choice has some kind of consequence. A lot of the choices that we make, the consequences are minor, but enough minor consequences can add up to some big consequence. And, you know, with this message, I may come across as being kind of negative about all this, and I didn't mean it to be a condemning message. I just wanted it to be an informational message so that you would understand what the consequences of our choices are. But I want to go on from that and tell you that our God is a really good God. And it's, it's important for us to remember that He takes us right where we are. And I'm just going to go through some scriptures that illustrate what a good God He is. Everybody, I think, in the world knows what John 3.16 says, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But how many of you know what 3.15 and 3.18 say? You don't, do you? Nobody does. Well, 3.15 says, So that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Then, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the important point of this is that it's available to anybody. Not just to Christians, it's available to anybody. And anybody who understands that and doesn't choose to accept Jesus as Savior has been deceived. They don't understand. 3.17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through Him, Jesus Christ. That's a pretty good God, isn't it? It's available to everybody. Now I just want to read some more scriptures to you that illustrate what a good God we have. Romans 5.16 and 17 says, well, 17, just 17. The sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over us, 
but all who receive God's wonderful, glorious gift of righteousness will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Everybody. Available to everybody. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, come short of glory, God's glorious standard. Yet now God in, this, in His gracious kindness declares us not guilty if we put our position, ourselves in a position to receive that from Him. He has done this through Christ Jesus who has freed us by taking away our sins. You know, uh, it's really important that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, He declares us righteous. Not because of what we've done or what we will do, but because of what God did for us. And as the righteousness of God, we have a right to everything that Jesus has a right to. The Word says that we're joint heirs with Jesus. That means that we're entitled to the same inheritance that Jesus has. It's important to understand that. Ephesians 2.4 But God is so rich in mercy, and He loves us so very much, that even while we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when, we, when He raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's special favor that you have been saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ, and we are seated with Him in heavenly places, all because we are one with Christ Jesus. And so, God can always point to us as examples of the incredible wealth of His favor and kindness toward us, as shown in all He has done for us through Christ Jesus. Let that soak in for a minute. We are called to be ambassadors for Christ. And we, we are examples for those who don't know Christ, as well as those who do. You know, uh, it's good to have heroes in the faith. Billy Graham, who just passed, is one of my great heroes. He preached to more people and got more people saved in the earth than any other human being that's ever lived. Another one of my heroes is Kenneth Copeland. He's the same age I am. Looks a lot better than I do, but he's the same. He's got all his hair. <clears throat> so anyway, that was free. Uh, let me continue with that. Verse 8, God saved you by his special favor when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. We can't be prideful about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. He personally carried away our sins in his own body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. You have been healed by his wounds. Once you were wandering like lost sheep, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. You know, we are three-part beings. We have a spirit. We are a spirit. And we have a soul, mind, will, and emotions, and we live in a body. And when we're born again, our spirit is reborn right then. 
in perfect. No sin, no nothing. But we have a soul that needs to be renewed. Our mind needs to be renewed. Our mind rules our emotions and our body. So in order to, to get this earth suit working the way it's supposed to, we have to renew our minds. There's only one way to do that, and that's through the Word. Second uh, Corinthians 5.17-21 to 21. What this means is, is that those who became Christians became new persons. They are not the same anymore. For The old life is gone, a new life has begun, and that's referring to your spirit. And the begun is the renewing of your soul. <clears throat> All this newness of life is from God who brought us back to himself through what Christ did, and God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. This is the wonderful message he has given us to tell others. We are Christ's ambassadors and God is using us, using us to speak to you. We urge you as though Christ himself were here pleading with you. Be reconciled to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. 